You're listening to the Nurture Project podcast with Sophie Dale. So today on the Nurture Project podcast season, um, I'm talking to self-care educator and coach Vanessa Mentor. Um, so welcome to the podcast, Vanessa. Thank you, Sophie, for having me. Um, so I'm really pleased to be talking to you today because I know that self-care is like your, your core subject. Uh-huh. Um, and before we dive into talking about the, the details of self-care, I'd really like it if we could rewind a bit and find out about you and your journey to doing this work in the first place what what is it that brought you to this okay so i think it's a really mix of things and uh, i was raised in haiti i lived in haiti for the first 40 years of my life just turned 41 and initially i worked as a bank uh, officer and then but it really if I can recall, it's all about in, you know, my childhood, the way I was raised. I was raised in a really strict household. And my father had this, he was born in the 1920s, and he had this really narrow view of uh, what a woman should be, should how a woman should behave. So I was not allowed to play with kids, to experience the world, and really... Um, I was thought to fear my body. I was in tune with my body, but it, my body, my dad taught me that my body could be a threat and could put me at risk. So I became this child that was so restricted and really um, closed off to the world. I could not experience the world beyond the, the house and school. So a part of me was this, um, to be a good girl, a good woman, is to stay at home, right, or have good grades. And I grew up with this idea, and what it made me do is always wear a mask, and I had to restrict myself as not to appear to be a woman that is um, that feels good in her body, that is flirtatious, that is sensual, and I had all those needs bottled inside of me, and I wanted to express myself, but I could not because I feared that I would be perceived a certain way as a bad girl or bad woman. And so when I got to the bank, you know, with um, in this industry that is so um, rigorous and conservative also, I had to carry on with the same persona. And I was very young when I got into that industry and um, dominated mostly by men. So um, being a, a manager where I had to lead people that were older than I am, so there was that conflict, and I felt like I had to reinforce that persona, becoming more strict, more rigorous. And so there was that. Um, and at some point, I, it became too much for me, too much because I could not be the person that I wanted to be because there was that soft side of me too that I wanted to explore and let people see, but I couldn't. 
or because I thought I, I could not do that and there, there would be consequences. So this is when I really started to look for and search for what I really want, what I was hungry for inside of me and what if I even wanted to have a career in banking or pursue, pursue that career. I stayed for 17 years. And so when I was, um, I think, 12 years, yeah, at my 12 years, I um, hired a coach to work with me because I felt like I was plateaued in my career and then so to help me. But it was really that um, feeling inside of me that I needed something else. And this is how I uh, came to know about coaching, what it was. And uh, I started to really get interested in it. And then um, in 2014, after a bad relationship, abusive relationship, this is when I said to myself, no, something's got to give. And um, I started to look for ways I could um, help women because in my work anyways, I was doing coaching. I was coaching the managers. So I already had some skills in there and then, but I just wanted to do that in a, a different setting. And I started with working with women with that were struggling with their bodies because I was struggling also with my bodies, letting my body be um, this beautiful thing and carry me. And um, so, yeah, and this is how now it led me to having self-care because the body, listening to your body, communicating to, with your body um, is part, a big part of self-care and a big part of knowing who you are and being um, identifying yourself as the person that you are. So yeah, in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's always so fascinating how when you dig a little, um, almost everybody ends up teaching what they need to learn. Yeah, true, true, true. And I say also my work is about freedom. And this is what I'm always looking for, freedom. Can I be myself? Can I be me? Can I experience myself? Can I uh, let my creative self talk? And uh, can I portray myself the way I want to be? Can I decide, make choices for myself? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, can we talk a bit about the common misconceptions that you find people have around self-care? Um, because I'm sure this is something that comes up a lot when you tell people what you do. Yes. Um, so the first one is um, self-care is selfish. And when it's, if I care for myself, it means that I'm going to uh, forget about other people. That, you know, I won't be available for other people. And that... I'm going to be self-centered. And I think women, since uh, most of my clients are women, it comes with this cultural um, idea that we are, and biologically too, we are the nurturers, we are the mothers, and so we're here to um, cater to everybody, to make everybody feel good, happy, 
and kind of forget about ourselves. And this idea, I think, is reinforced every day with the people we love, the institutions that we respect, the churches. And so it's really difficult for us to decondition and to, um, I think, diffuse the guilt around um, tending to our own needs. And the second one, I think, is self-care is not, is, it's something that is superficial. It's not um, deep. And it's because of, you know, the way that capitalism has us, you know, think about self-care, where it's about, you know, going to the spas, having that manicure, and, you know, having that drink, go out. There's a fun this obsession with fun self-care it has its place but it in the you know mainstream and online also we are bombarded with this uh, message that in order to care for ourselves we need to stop go to Bali you know this do this high fancy thing so people think they need a lot of money to do self-care and self-care is something that we um, for a moment is temporary mm, and also so, something that you can buy exactly so then it's not accessible to everyone and it doesn't you know you go to the retreat yes but you come back to your everyday life and then what so people don't see the the change the transformation the results and so that way they think oh okay this is something for you know, people who have money or people who have the time or it's luxury. And I think another big one is this idea that um, self-care is something that I do with myself. There's this, um, it's just a set of activities. It's, um, there's this also feeling of isolation with self-care where I only, think about myself and me and myself where self-care is that, you know, um, more of a situational thing. It's like, what are the, what do I do when I, when I'm faced with a certain thing? So it's dynamic when people feel like it's a fixed thing and there's that rigidity that sometimes keeps people from really um, looking at the, the routines or the rituals that they can put in place to um, have that nourishment they need on, uh, on a daily. And the other one, I think it's, we're not thinking about the skills, we're thinking about the activities, but we're not thinking about the skills that also we need in order to even have the capacity or to be motivated to have a self-care practice. And I think this is one of the, the main thing that keep us in the struggle of caring for our, our, ourselves because we don't have the skills to, or always have the skills. And sometimes, you know, there's around us the, the, the blocks or barriers that are, external from us and age could be something that keep us from caring for ourselves 
health issues, financial issues, not having the right community support. So there are a lot of little factors that are around us inform the landscape of self-care that we don't always talk and about, and it's not only a individual endeavor. It's something collective because we need that support. Yes, we are independent self-care. We should need, we should have the agency to care for ourselves, but we can be in some type of situations where we cannot and we need the support of the external uh, environment to do that. And I think what you're talking about there plays into um, what I've seen you talking about elsewhere with the, the feminine code of conduct, this, this, the society, the way the society we're in sets women up to not be caring for themselves. Um, yes, 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 for sure. And so that's why whatever the issue is, I think it's so important to look at the context, the culture, and how we have been uh, taught to think about something or learned to behave. And uh, because it's going to create that tension and we need to be aware of it. So when the tension happens, we don't uh, blame ourselves or judge ourselves for it, for not being able to live up to that or do things because there are two things happening with us. We're trying to um, create a better vision for ourselves and we're trying to make better choices for ourselves. And at the same time, there's, you know, the people, the systems, the institutions around us telling us this is not the way to do it. So we're deconditioning and unlearning some of the things and relearning. So that's a lot. It requires a lot of energy from us and there's going to be that tension. So if we're aware of the context, the, the cultural um, context of things, societal context, and the way also we were raised, then that shaped our beliefs about how we do things, then um, it's easier to, to navigate and we, we cannot dissociate the individual from the collective. So um, it's embedded and we need to play with, with those two. If we want to, to be in a place where we're gonna, like most of the time we're doing things because it aligned with our values, what we believe in then, you know, blindly um, going for what we've been told we need to do. And that, I think, came out very clearly earlier on when we were talking about your own childhood and, and what shaped you and what informed you. And then only as you became older, were you able to kind of stand aside from that and look, look back at it and think, I don't have to live my life this way. Yes. These are not my beliefs. These are beliefs that have been put on me. Yeah, and and one of the, and one of the things that I think um, I'm still challenged with that every day. And sometimes, you know, um, when you're on that healing process or a spiritual journey or trying to redefine yourself and define yourself for who you are, it's a lifetime process. And sometimes we get blindsided um, with 
this idea that we're going to arrive, you know, and people sell us that. And as human beings, of course, we want to um, get rid of the pain, right? <laughs> we want to be free and be joyful all the time, happy. Um, so it, it's tempting to believe that, but I don't actually believe in, you know, total transformation. I think we get to a point where we are 80%, 90% grounded in the things that we want and who we are. And then there's going to be 10, 20%, you know, things coming because there's so much to decondition. And the brain also is so complex that we don't always um, grasp the knowledge to grasp everything and how to reshape it. So it's okay. Sometimes it's if I feel hooked up with, you know, those false uh, stories and beliefs. And, and I think the, the fact that we have this need and desire to be loved, to belong also, it's keep us in this, um, I think, reminiscence or romanticizing, oh, okay, it's good for me to, to um, still hang to those stories because they, it's my way to, to stay connected to the people, to my environment, to the land, and everything else that, you know, um, they, they told me. And it can be scary for some people to not have something familiar, right, to, um, to hold on to because it's about re- reinventing yourself when you're trying to let go of those things and not everybody knows how to do that what to do with it because when you've spent your life suppressing your emotions your feelings your needs what you really want it can be difficult now to know what you want what you need and to have a clear vision about you know, where you want to go and to let yourself, because it's accepting that you have a say in things and you can say yes to, to things that come from your heart. And so, yeah, of course it's, um, and one thing I, one of the practices that I do a lot with the women I work with, it's, you know, practicing kindness. How can I be kinder? to myself more gentle and and trust that in my own process right in my own journey i'm gonna find the answers and then sometimes it's gonna be more difficult it's gonna be more complex and it's gonna take um, more time for me to come out of this um to meet myself and to become that you know, which I, I, I want to become, which is be with myself and be myself. Mm, yeah. Because I was thinking that as you were talking that um, when you, in your work, when you start working with a new client, um, it must for them feel quite overwhelming sometimes to, to begin when they're so used to um, not acknowledging their own needs and putting their own needs last and, and all of those things. Um, and, you know, how do they take the first steps towards doing that? Because none of us can implement everything all in one go. Yes. Too much. Yeah. So the first 
at the core of my work, it's we, it's that acknowledgement that we have a body, because this is the part of us we with it every day. Yeah. So, and what I've uh, realized and find that women who've been conditioned to um, kind of neglect themselves, not to listen to themselves, also forget that they have a body. So they always, you know, in the head going, going, because we have to please other people and we have to look perfect. So it's happening all in the head and how I project myself in a way that, you know, I appear as that glossy and good person. So I actually forget or they actually forget what it feels like to be in a body and, uh, and there's no communication with them and their bodies. And in a practical way, what that means is that they cannot um, hear the signals their bodies are sending to them. And if they're hungry, they don't always know, am I hungry? Am I bored? Do I need to rest or not? And so they forget to eat. They forget to go pee. Or it's like all of those things that put you in harmony with your body, they forget about that. And so the, that's why the body is moving with your body, doing practices to reconnect with your body, talking to your body, and really listening what your body needs, this is where we start and this is the basic that we do, sensing. Taking the time to um, work with your sensing, senses. So now you are in tune with yourself and you are also in tune with your environment. You can feel people, you can feel what's going on, so, and then now we can um, do the, go to the other, work on the other capacities. But the body is at the core of what we do. Mm, yeah. And I think that goes double as well for writers, who are the people that I work with. <laughs> um, you know, the, the fact that I think writers are even more likely to be so much in their heads and, and so much seeing it all as a cognitive process and forgetting <laughs> that this head is attached <laughs> to a, a body that has needs and, and that will do better work if those needs are acknowledged. Exactly. Yes. Um, so Vanessa, if somebody um, wants to find out more about you, follow you, um, what's, what's the best way for them to do that? Okay, two ways. Um, my website, and this is where you can find more about me, my philosophy, story, so at www.sheisunrestrained.com and on Instagram as Vanessa underscore mentor underscore life coach. Perfect. Yes. And thank you very much for speaking to us today. Thank you, Sophie, for having me. Thank you for listening to the Nurture Project podcast. If you enjoyed this, please make sure to check out the other episodes.